Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and I'm Joanne White. Thanks for tuning in to Power Your Life and speaking about powering your life and powering you up. What better way to talk about that than to really look at what's going on in our brains? What do you need to do to have more creativity and to create peak performances and and times for yourself where your imagination is soaring. And I have just the incredible guest for this. A true Renaissance man, James Mates, is considered the world's foremost authority on applied imagination, having studied human behavior for 30-plus years. Since childhood, he wanted to make the impossible into the possible, which has led to a lifelong fascination with the subconscious and the power of the imagination. Speaker, life coach, author, and performer, James Mapes is recognized for his ability to inspire, motivate, educate, and guide others to develop and enhance the unlimited potential of the creative imagination and incalculable powers of the mind. James' programs addresses creativity, motivation, leadership, change, wellness, and peak performance. For over three decades, creator of Quantum Leap Thinking and the transformational coach, James Mapes has worked with hundreds of public and private companies in over 70 countries. Pretty impressive. In addition, he's ignited audiences with his critically acclaimed hypnosis show, Journey into the Imagination. Over 2 million people have attended this unique presentation at performing arts centers and universities, plus Manhattan's Town Hall and Lincoln Center, winning praise from the media, including the New York Times, Variety, and the New York Daily News. James is branded the Imaginologist. That's a new one to me. His new book, Imagine That, Igniting Your Brain for Creativity and Peak Performance, is the first web-enhanced volume of its kind. An Adventure of the Mind, Imagine That, is a cutting-edge roadmap showing readers like ourselves how to lead an exceptional life by learning to apply their imagination for productivity. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome, James Mates. How are you? Well, I'm terrific. I don't know whether to be inspired by that introduction or exhausted. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm inspired, and I have your book right here, so thank you. It's a wonderful book, and let's go back in time a little bit, because right before the show, you and I were talking about your performance and the journey into the imagination. So let's shift gears a little bit and just look back at that, and what brought that on? How how did that come to be? 
I think I think to put to answer that question in any way, I'm going to give a kind of a 360 on my life because I have a very weird <clears throat> career. I have five careers, and I've added them on since I got out of college. I started off as a professional actor in soaps and film. I never stopped. I added on being a clinical hypnotist, having a center in New York for 12 years. I still do private, but not in New York. And then out of that, I got interested in stage hypnosis. And I, and I, there were only three or four people doing it at that time. And I wanted to create something that was a theatrical event that was a script that a 10-year-old child could come to or college students or anyone and not only be inspired and amused but learn something so i've done you know there's some cutting edge uh <laughs> things that i do in the in the show like age regression by regressing people by their signature and and it's it's pretty wild so out of that in the 70s late 70s came a request to do seminars so i created two seminars positive self-image training and choices and then in 82 in addition to all that uh, my manager got me in the corporate field and I wasn't known as a hypnotist. I did a, a book. My first book was called Quantum Leap Taking an Owner's Guide to Mind. So I spoke on creativity, which morphed into team building, which morphed in lately to wellness. Um, and now I'm, you know, this book is a 13-year labor of love. Uh, and I'm still interested in all these things. <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating that you are, and I believe that that, that as as individuals we have we can have the potential let's say to immerse ourselves in many different arenas like you and and to do it well but i think it involves utilizing our imagination and, and our creativity and our brain power sufficiently so there's something that i'm thinking about and that's you talk a lot about imagination and creativity, but what's the distinction? Don't they go together? Well, they go together, but, but they're different in one way. And here's what it is. The imagination is like a naughty, out-of-control, uh, <laughs> malleable uh, force that can be taken anywhere at any time. So that if somebody criticizes you, you start to imagine, perhaps, imagine yourself not having self-worth. If something tragedy in the world happens, you start to imagine it happening to you. But if something wonderful happens, you start to imagine. So it, it's pliable. It's not focused. Where the magic happens is by applying your imagination. Because once you apply your imagination to create a goal of any kind, you have to have an outcome. And that is designed by you. So writing a book, uh, having a radio show, having a, a great family unit, it, or healing. It does, once you apply the imagination, it can just um, uh, help your life soar. And part of that is dependent on you realizing uh, the nature of the subconscious. And, and this whole book is based on brain research. I didn't, you know, back in the, in the early 70s when I got into this, uh, people like Zig Ziglar, W. Clement Stone, Robert Schuller, uh, all these all these people uh, had this great following, Wayne Dyer, but and it all worked, but no one really knew why. But in the past decade of brain research, you start to see, my goodness, this is this is why gratitude works. This is why uh, uh, cr uh, applying your imagination to anything. Uh, creates some kind of an end result, and we want that end result to be positive. So you have to learn, 
and part of, I think, chapter two in this book, is how do you manage your thinking? Because until you learn how to manage your thinking, you get, how do I put this? You can get too absorbed and having the right outcome. Now, you said something earlier. Uh, a buddy of mine the other day said, you know, you've you got to wonder. You've just an incredible life. How, how do you do so much? And I said, because no one told me I couldn't. And that's kind of my standard response to that. I had a supportive family, especially a mother, that if I wanted, we didn't have any money, so she had to go do a second job. But if I wanted to paint, she would put me in a class or act or, uh, you know. It, it's so, so that was, for my early childhood, was applied imagination. And it just grew into this limitless uh, potential that we have mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, or socially to go to to our next level. Now, no one, or not many people, are weak in all those areas, and I don't use the word weak, really, that uh, they're at the top of their game. So there's usually something somewhere, whether it's a relationship, uh, uh, carrying uh, old baggage from the past, or just not being creative enough, because it's healthy. And I believe that people who are um, actively creative, it doesn't have to be a big deal to be creative, have a more enhanced life and they live longer, they live healthier. I think it's also more fun. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of fun. I that's like this you know, there's there's a section in the book on discovering our our values and there's a reason for this because a lot of people don't know what their core values are. And what they're doing is they're out there searching for fulfillment or happiness. Now, if you don't know what your core values are, and you're out there kind of stumbling around, you're, you're just not going to be satisfied. But once you discover what your core values are, you can always ask the question, do the actions I take, are they congruent with my core values? For example, my top three values that run my life, number one is love, and that's a, that's a big subject right there. Number two is freedom, and I don't mean I mean freedom, feeling that I'm not trapped by anything, including my own mind. Uh, and three is fun. And my wife has learned all this stuff, so she sees me every once in a while. She'll see me sad. I don't get depressed. I don't get angry. I get sad. And and I don't know why. And she'll come in to me and say, How, you know, are you, do you know you're loved, right? So that's my number one value. And I said, yeah, I know. Believe me, I know. And uh, number two, you feel free, right? You, you can do what you want to do. Yes. Are you having enough fun? And I go, oh. She said, let's go for a walk. <laughs> let's go to a movie. Let's do, and it's, it's, it's true because when you're a workaholic, or, and I am ambitious, um, uh, it's very easy not to take care of the fun part of life. Although I I believe that within the creative process, when you know, and 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 using your imagination, there is the fun of of creating and just allowing those juices to flow, and and sometimes being surprised. I mean, you and I write, and and being surprised by by what is coming out or through you, or you know, even if it's if it's research oriented. So, well, you're right, on, you're right on target with that because that's the greatest. Being in the zone of creativity, there is nothing better to, for me. And it's, it, is, it is fun. It is exciting. Time just kind of slips by. And um, listen, the imagination is a great playground. And I love the, the Einstein uh, quote 
where he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. It is a preview of life's coming attractions. So if you take that second part, it is a preview of life's coming attractions, and you start to realize what and how we imagine, that's the beginning right there of saying, wow, you know what, I, I worry too much. How do I handle that? Or I obsess too much, because that's part of... You know, we can talk about the conscious and subconscious mind, but the conscious mind is only 10% part of what is called our mind in a figurative sense. And that is the only part that thinks, plans, can visualize, and can manage our thinking. But it's also a part that is a tremendous confabulator. We make a lot of garbage up, and then we believe it to be true, and we act on it, and then it becomes us. Or we worry a lot, because that part of our mind is... It's always helped us survive as a reflection of the subconscious. So it has a lot of wonderful attributes. Um, and we have to learn. I think we don't have to do anything, but I think when you learn how to manage your conscious mind, then you can take care of the subconscious. You know, I think that's so important because many people don't even recognize what what's going on with their thoughts and, and what they're putting out, not just to – I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and she kept using words like, this is killing me, or this is – and I said, oh. I said, pay attention to what you're telling yourself what, because you're listening. You're paying attention to it, so it's really. I think it's really important. I want to shift well, gears a little bit because I have yeah, sure. this beautiful book of yours. Imagine that, and there's a point where you talk about the conscious rider and the subconscious elephant. I love that, and I would love you to share that. What that means for our listeners. Okay, good. Let's let's play a just a a, a game for a second, and you can do this. You've seen my performance so you you know that i do this it's my trademark what i want your audience uh, your listening audience to imagine is that they're holding a lemon and really mm. make it real in their mind in their imagination it's yellow it's bumpy it has a tart smell now imagine that you cut it in half and you pick up one half of that lemon and you squeeze this bitter juice out and then imagine that you plunge it in your mouth right now and take a big bite and it drools down your chin. Now, if your imagination is really in gear, in person, uh, it never fails that 90% of the audience have a reaction to that. And I always say when they do, you just created the greatest miracle in the mind. You created something out of nothing. With a thought, you created a neurological biochemical change. So let's go back to the subconscious and the conscious. Uh, I had been looking for years, uh, how, how do you teach the, what the conscious and subconscious And You go back to Freud, he has this image of an iceberg floating, and the conscious mind is the 10%. That's kind of a cool image. Uh, but years ago, I was in India doing a talk, and I decided I wanted to ride an elephant. And I'm a good horseback rider, so I thought I actually could ride an elephant. And I got on this elephant. It was a horrendous experience because I had no control whatsoever. And the elephant walked down this well-worn path <clears throat> behind this this uh, building I was taking. And it was just it was frightening. So as I was working on this book, I thought, well, this is the perfect metaphor. The conscious mind is the writer, R-I-D-E-R, like a little writer on top of a 6,000-pound elephant. And there are certain attributes that both have. And so I 
when I talk to brain researchers about this and neuroscientists, the bottom line is this, the, the subconscious elephant, this big, lumbering, wonderful beast, is 90% process of thinking, and it doesn't think, by the way. There is no thought process in that 90%. It is programmed genetically to move towards things that we make us feel good and that we love and away from things that create fear, even if what makes us feel loved is self-destructive and even if what makes us feel fear is good for us. So that's the bait. That's what it's designed to do. It's also, if you had a reaction to that lemon, it cannot tell a difference between a real or an imagined experience, period. That's why we can change our blood flow, our blood pressure, our skin temperature in a matter of seconds because the way we think influences our physiology. And the other thing, that 90%, it cannot hear a negative suggestion. So in people, once you understand this, people's communication change because if I love someone and I say to that person, now, now don't get hit by a car or don't fail or don't uh, be a jerk, the, because the subconscious cannot hear a negative suggestion, what it hears is be a jerk, fail. So it's a tool. And once you learn how the conscious and the subconscious work, you can create a different kind of self-talk <clears throat> so that every suggestion you give to other people and every suggestion you give to yourself, because we are like our own hypnotist in a way, uh, is, is not just positive, but it's healthy. So the conscious mind is the one that manages our thinking, that can imagine. The subconscious is what takes that what we imagine and starts to move it into reality. And if we want to change the course of that elephant, which is doesn't want to be changed, bad habits, negative habits, self-limiting beliefs, uh, we have to learn some tools to be able to control or not in control, to influence the elephant. So I love, I love the way that you presented it. So how do we manage our mind, and how do we manage what comes out of our our mouth, which is connected to our mind, so that we are we are really taking care with what we're saying and really being conscious of it well, and what we're doing. The first thing, and you'll understand this, and I don't, you know, this is an overused word, which is mindfulness, and. I've been meditating since 1972, but I have my own kind of system now. I started off with TM. And being mindful means that it's you hit the pause button. <laughs> you learn how to hit the pause button. I learned this in martial arts. I learned this so that you develop a different kind of muscle memory. Uh, so being mindful about what's going on. But let me give you another example. <clears throat> There's a little trick that I teach people about their self-talk. Now, we can become aware of our self-talk. And if someone listening doesn't understand what our self-talk is, and they're saying, well, what, what's, he, what's that guy talking about? What is that self-talk? Well, that question is your self-talk. <laughs> it is what you say to yourself, what your mind does. Some people don't even realize that they don't think about their thinking. So if you realize that there is something that you're obsessing on that's negative, you can do what's called reframing. But let me give a little trick for um, thinking for a second. One of the tools that I teach people to do is to be aware of their self-talk and reframe it immediately. And I'll give you an example I give in the book. Uh, years ago, I was hired to work with a golfer. 
I had worked with him previously, and he wanted to fly me out to Palm Springs and um, go around nine holes with him and have me help him up his game to another level than I had before. So I had an idea, and I went to Radio Shack, and I bought a digital recorder and a microphone. And before we flew out, I said to him, listen, here's your job, and it's very simple. As we play golf, or as he plays golf, I want you to say everything out loud that you would normally say to yourself. And he paused. He said, oh, brother. I said, that's it. I'm not going to do this unless you do. So we, were, we went for the first three holes, and I can't <clears throat> say what he said on the air, uh, or, but I can give an idea. <laughs> so he, whenever he made a mistake, he had to say this out loud, and he was very good at it. He would say, you stupid jerk. You, done, you know you know. You're blah, blah, blah. And it went on, only it was lots of cuss words. It was, and finally, after the third hole, he said, can we turn that off? I said, sure. We finished the nine holes. I said, let's go back and have a drink. And I said, I want you to listen to what you just said to yourself. And he said, oh, boy, again. And I turned it on. He, in 45 seconds, he said, can we turn this off? I said, yes. And I said, by the way, do you have children? He said, yes, I do. I have two. I said, if you talk to your children like this, that you talk to yourself, what would happen to their creativity, their joy, their productivity? And he just said it would be, it would be devastating. I said, let me teach you a little secret you have the same impact on you with a self-talk. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start to become aware. When you say something to yourself that is demeaning to yourself or other people, that you take a pause and you say to yourself, isn't that interesting? Now, I'll ask you this. So if you catch yourself with a negative thought and you observe it and say, isn't that interesting, what happens to the thought? Well, firstly, you're analyzing the thought, so it becomes much more conscious. You're aware of it, and when you do that, you're also able to shift it if you choose to. You can, and that's the secret, because if you would, if I would say to myself, I had a negative thought, and I'd say, don't do that. Well, that's I'm done. You know, I'm not going to do anything, because now I've implanted the thought even deeper. But once I say, isn't that interesting, it disrupts the thinking for about a tenth of a second or so, and you have the opportunity right there in the sweet spot to reframe it to a positive thought. And by the way, this works 100% of the time. I do this and have for years with my private clients. It takes a little time. Uh, So I give them like a 30-day process where they write it in their journal and they become aware. And it's really, so that's one solid tool that we can use to not stop negative thinking, because that's we do what we do. It's learning how to identify it and reframe it so that we can switch to a positive thought uh, or something, something uh, I don't know, wonderful. Different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's one. And, and you know, I, I've used it myself and over the years, and I find, too, that as you do, it, it, it happens, you know, as you're so, you're aware so quickly that, what's happening to your thinking and what, and what you just said to your, your inner mind out loud or, and, and, and the shifting, the changing it to something more positive or more, more kind or less self-demeaning, whatever it is, really, really can come at, at great speed. It's like 
that becomes automatic, almost automatic. Well, it becomes, I call it Aikido of the mind. And, and this is, having studied martial arts for years, <clears throat> once you learn this system and practice it, you're right. You can learn to shift the thought in under 10 seconds. And, and being conscious of that, not judging, just knowing it's a, it's a tool that we can use. So that, I, I love it. I love that ability to be able to do it. And what it does is it allows you to feel more in control of you. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Because by the oftentimes way, we'll blurt things out. No, sir, you know no, that. We'll blurt right. out of our mouth, whatever, whether it's an emotional moment of anger or fear or whatever, and and then it's it's out there. However, if you can shift it, you can change the the power of it, the velocity of it, whatever, for, for yourself. Yeah, there what is do a we... chapter in here on the myths of thinking, and one of the myths of thinking is that our emotions control our actions. Uh, and that's a myth, because it doesn't have to. And it's, again, being mindful. And by the way, this is a kind of a fun thing. The subconscious, that elephant, 90% of our mind never, ever stops listening, even if we're drugged even if we're under anesthesia. And that is why you never want to hear a surgeon say, oops. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> the elephant, that subconscious, is fight or flight. It's our DNA. It's the center of our emotions. It's our memories. And once you start to understand the purity of how it reacts, you'll understand why you, you want to learn every tool you can to use your imagination to put positive input or for positive outcomes or what I call ideal end outcomes. So what are some of the ways that we can actually work with our brains to do just that, to allow for more positive outcomes, to be able to increase creativity and peak performance? I mean, you have a lot on this, but let's just... Yeah. It's a simple tool. Say, I'm going to throw a couple listen. things out that, that I would Sorry. do with my clients. Sorry. First is do this little exercise because it's, you want to change your brain quickly before you go to bed and when you get up in the morning. So this is an exercise I give whether it's a CEO or whomever. List five things for which you are grateful for. Before you go to bed, just write down. They could be the same things every night. That's all, because now you've focused your brain in a certain positive direction before you go to sleep. And then you get up in the morning, you read that list, and you, you circle one. That's all you have to do. Now, what does this do? It ends your day on a positive note. It begins your day on a positive note. We're looking at applied imagination and creativity here. <clears throat> a 10-minute Relaxation. Now, I have 21 video clips in the book of me coaching and a couple wonderful uh, hypnosis uh, demonstrations that I use as metaphor, but I have two audio clips. One is for stress reduction, stress management, and one is for forgiveness. So once you learn to do a relaxation of any kind for 10 minutes, you've changed your brain for five hours. So what I do right up front with my clients, have them do the gratitude exercise, and I make them in a little MP3 so that they listen to it twice a day. Now that also opens up creativity. It makes you, it's almost like putting a bubble on you to negativity uh, and stress. When you change your brain through some kind of self-relaxation or meditation or whatever you want to call it, now you've 
now you've allowed the brain or the creative, creative part of ourselves to be more functional and more focused. So that's two simple techniques right there. The third is, and I talk about what makes an exceptional life, and there's like 14 issues here, and I'll do the first two. One is having purpose. Hmm. When you have purpose, there's a magic that happens to your whole life. When you don't, there's another kind of negativity that happens. So those people that I have observed, studied, coached, that have the best lives have a purpose of some kind. The second is they're curious. Those two right there are the first two of this list. Curiosity means that you, you put a break on your judgment. And that's a whole other way to manage your mind, is to become aware of when you're judging, which we do all the time. We're judgment machines. However, it's not necessarily a good thing, you know. So we learn. I say, wow, I just judged that person to be whatever, or I judge myself. Because once you start to use your self-talk in that direction, you're, again, going down the wrong path. So those are, those are a couple little ideas. And you know what? I think they're powerful because, again, it helps us shift what we're doing and be more conscious of what just goes on, whether it's the judgment or or the self-talk or whatever. So it's really very important. You have so much that you do and so much in this book. Why why do you look at love and fear? Or uh, What do you want to say well, about that? Well, this is just a personal belief. Uh, that that I it's it's a frame of the book one of the frames I believe there are only two emotions in life and they're love and fear and anything that you could give me as an emotion is somewhere it's going to go under one of those two now the key to this is when love is present fear can't be and when fear is present love can't be it's just it's very simple when you're in fear you're in fear so learning how to let go of negativity, uh, and here's how it came to me. Everyone who I've ever coached, and I've coached 13-year-old children, I've coached self-mutilators, I've coached people in relationships, I've uh, career coaching CEOs, everybody, everyone that comes to see me, at the end of the day, there's something that he or she has to let go of. And it never fails. It could be as simple as, letting go of worry or letting go of a, a, a grudge you've held, held for years against someone or, or letting go of a grudge you've held against somebody who's been dead for 25 or 30 years. It's letting go of all blame and just look at being accountable. So when you start to do that, you can shift out of fear. First, you have to recognize when you're in fear because there are I have a chapter on fears. They're the major fears are rejection, change, success, failure, commitment, and poverty. Now, they're not necessarily bad to have fear. Fear can also be our teacher. So I've divided fear into three categories. First category I call delicious fear. Uh, when I race cars, that was delicious fear. When I scuba dive, that's delicious fear. When I get in front of an audience, it's delicious <laughs> fear. It gives me energy. The second is your primitive fight-or-flight fear that's programmed in us. And the third and most dangerous is what I call illusory fear. Because when a fear controls our thinking and our actions, 
we unknowingly often create what we fear most. Here's an example. So there's nothing wrong with being afraid of rejection. I think if somebody told me they weren't, I'd have to take their seminar myself. But suppose that we are, we are ruled by our unconscious with the fear of rejection. Now, fear of rejection is isolation. And so if we, are, if we fear being rejected, we fear being isolated. What this illusionary fear does is it creates actions in, in us that create what we fear most. For example, if I chose to reject someone before he or she rejected me because I'm afraid of being hurt, I end up isolated. People do this all the time. Or I become a bully because I, I need to be in control. I'm afraid that people are going to control me, and I drive them away, and I say to myself, wait a minute, I'm a nice guy. What, what's, what, have, what have I done? This is unconscious behavior. So with any of the rejection, change, success, failure, commitment, or poverty, we, if we're not careful, can create the fear and we'll never know it. And part of becoming conscious and part of what I do in this book is to help people recognize when they're ruled by fear, use tools to let go of fear, and switch to love. Which is so very important, especially, I believe now, for our time here on this planet, because I I think it's not just for individually. It can work in a larger, more profound way, too. You talk a lot. Go ahead. I enjoy listening to you, James. So, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm. This is what I do. <laughs> I love speakers. I love speaking. I love corporate speaking. I love going to the local libraries. I just, you know, people are hungry for this. It happens to be. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have learned how to make very complex ideas very simple, and not not intimidating because there's nothing intimidating about this you know some people are afraid to look inwards it's a wonderful thing to look inwards um so it it's all about again especially you're right especially in the world today and the news today is learning how we can surround ourselves with what feeds our spiritual self but also feeds the subconscious and one of the things my wife susan granger and I made a decision a little over 30 years ago. She pulled me in her office, and she said, I want you to read this. And it said, I will not be around people that vex the spirit. So we're, and I am very, very careful who I surround myself with, as we are. So we had a dinner party the other night, and very powerful people were there. No one was coming from ego. Everyone, if we all have a success, everybody celebrates it. And so we surround ourselves with literature, with people, with events, uh, with positive things so that we're inputting in our subconscious. We're enhancing our creativity, and we're celebrating it. We're celebrating other people's creativity. And that's a beautiful thing. That's that's the way life needs to be. <laughs> so simplistic. Well, I, think, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, that, yes, that's one of my goals, too. I think that's so important. Okay, so we're talking about creativity and imagination and the subconscious mind. How do we use our imagination to be, be more productive in, in 
different areas and or even just in one focused area well there's there's kind of an overall outcome to this that I get people to recognize and the way that the mind works now you have to look at a goal or a purpose mentally physically spiritually emotionally and socially so what and I I've got this um I one of my little projects and I think this will make sense uh Eight years ago, a little over eight years ago, uh, I was shooting a film in Scotland as an actor, a thriller. And I got back to the States, and I got depressed, and I went to my doctor, and he sent me to my cardiologist all in the same day. And that night, I found out I had less than a month to live because I found out I had an aortic aneurysm. And to handle the fear of that, I knew I was going to have open-heart surgery, uh, which is the thing I feared most, by the way. And so I decided to make a program, and it's called Patient Pre-Op Post-Op Healing Therapy. And it's a program now that Yale is, is supported. And it's how do you take someone pre-surgery, help them eliminate all fear so adrenaline and cortisone and cortisone doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, shoot, you know, in, in your surgery. How do you, how do you get them to heal faster? How do you get them off narcotics? Part of what this is is envisioning or visualizing yourself in an ideal outcome. So you can take anything. If you're going to lose weight, you want to see yourself in a 360-degree visualization, so to speak, stepping on the scale, how do you feel. You're in it. You're living the ideal and outcome. And surgery, before you go into surgery, you train yourself for a week to see yourself going in totally calm, totally relaxed, which everybody reports they do, coming out of surgery already on the way to healing. So you have to envision that in your mind, visualize it. That, that's very much what the book is about. And you, you project in the future and see, but not only see, it's being in the moment of seeing yourself or living, doing something you love to do that you could no longer do because of your surgery. So for me, it was being back in the gym lifting weights. I mean, everybody said to me, you're not going to be back in the gym lifting weights after an open-heart surgery. Well, I do. I lift four days a week. But I envisioned that happening before I went into surgery. So it doesn't. you can give me any goal in the world that you want, and as long as you can see it, visualize it as exactly what you want to be, you know, one of the things people talk about is the film, the video, The Secret. And I had an issue with The Secret. I love it. I loved it all except for one thing. Mm. And that is when a little boy opened the door and the bike was there that he visualized. What they left out of that film is where does the work come in? You know, this doesn't right. just happen by a, by a prayer at night. <laughs> you know? It doesn't happen by wishing it would happen. It's learning the tools, which are not that hard, mastering your mind, mastering visualization, and understanding that the subconscious cannot tell the difference between a real or an imagined experience. That's the key. So when you're visualizing negative or positively, imagining something wonderful happening, imagining something negative happening, you're programming the elephant to go on a certain path. So you, be you better make sure the path is a good one, a loving one, a nurturing one, uh, because when I, when I go into a corporation, say I'll use a corporation, and I talk to a group of men, which is not my, 
most favorite group to talk to. I like half and half, uh, men, men and women. Uh, there's too much ego with all men. So I have to immediately do a little demonstration, which is one of the demonstrations uh, that I coach people in the video uh, in the book, because people access these online. Uh, and and it, after they're over, everyone sees in the room that their thoughts make a difference. And I, I look at this group and I say, I'm going to tell you something that's going to scare you to death, and if you have control issues, you better leave. You don't have any control over your mind, but you have a lot of influence. And the influence is what I teach people because you need to influence the elephant. The rider needs to learn the tools to influence the elephant because if you can do that, you can move in any direction you want. You know, I think that's so important, and I use visualization with my own clients. And, and something that, like you said, what's is to visualize and imagine what you choose to see, that future, and also to put in as much positive, like how would you feel when, that, when, that, when you've arrived at that goal or that dream or whatever? Where's the excitement? Where's the, the power in that moment? That's so, so that, to me, that, that's really very important to, to be able to ignite it with, with feeling. Well, I want to reinforce that because, and I'm glad you said that, it isn't just mental pictures and images. It's mental. If I put myself in my own mental movie, I want a powerful emotion because you have to go back to the, to the elephant again. The elephant, the, the, the little 10%, which is our forebrain of our conscious mind, is not, it has nothing to do with emotions. It has to do with thinking. The elephant runs off emotions. And you have to remember, fight or flight. We move towards what's positive, away from what's negative. So when you visualize in the future, you're right. You plug in the most powerful emotion, and you feel it. Now I can t- I can do- we can do this over the phone. If your listeners uh, imagine something that you fear right now, just anything that you fear, and just take a moment and be aware of what you fear and turn your attention to your body. And notice where you feel that fear. Can you do that with me? I'm doing it right now. Okay. Right. So if you feel, feel something it. that's fearful, where do you feel it in your body? I feel it in my I feel it in three areas: my heart, my solar plexus, and my stomach. Okay. Now I call that your tool for truth, because you will always feel, always feel fear the same way. I feel right. it. In my lower stomach only. Some people feel it in their upper back. Some people feel it in a different way. So when you start to understand what you fear and that you're in fear, your body will tell you the truth before your mind makes a reason. So once you start to become aware of your body, you're going to know you're in fear before your mind can make up a reason why. Now, once you do that, that's very powerful. The other way is where do you feel love? Where do you feel excitement? The same way. So when you're doing your visualization, it's, you go to your body and just recognize where you feel that positive emotion of love. Now, when I feel love, it's in my upper chest. If I feel emotional love, if I feel empathy wa- watching heroics on the screen and I almost cry, it's in my upper chest. So if I want to recreate something that's powerful, I want to know where that is in my body so that when I do my visualization, that's where I feel it. You know, it's interesting because I feel it in my upper chest too, Something, and I, I also feel it in my throat, this love and, 
and I also feel it a little bit higher up, like more like towards my third eye. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's a very powerful. Again, that's called the tool for truth, and recognize where you feel positive and where you recognize where you feel love where you feel fear, because once you do that, you'll be sitting, you're just like I do this, I'll talk about myself for a second, I'll be sitting, um, I don't know, my mind wanders, and suddenly I'm aware of my stomach, and I go, wait a minute, I'm feeling fear, what am I afraid, and I realize now my thoughts have wandered towards something on the dark side, and so I just do my little thing, and I'm back in the moment, and I'm back creating or writing or uh, and and don't be afraid. And to me, by the way, uh, guilt is one of the worst fears you, you can feel because guilt is the most manipulative. And right. I'll give a couple other tools. Um, in the book, I talk about this. You cannot get rid of fear, but you can mute fear. So let me give you an example of how how can we turn. It's like turning down the volume by asking a couple questions. Uh, when you know you feel fear and you know what you're afraid of, first question is, uh, it, especially if it has to do with motivation, uh, what's the worst that can happen and am I willing to have it happen? Can I, can I cope with it? If you answer that question, you'll start to understand that you, <laughs> Joanne and James Mapes, we've coped with everything thrown our way. And there's been, for me, I know, <laughs> some pretty nasty things. So there's nothing I can't cope with. Once you understand that, that gives you a motivation when you're afraid to do something, right? So that pulls you in the future. The second thing is when you recognize fear, you ask yourself a couple questions. What is the payoff, my payoff, for having this fear? Who do I get to avoid speaking to? What actions do I get to avoid taking? That's very powerful. Because when you start to go, oh, my goodness, I'm not calling the person and telling them the truth because I'm afraid. That's my payoff. I get out of calling that person. Or I, I get to be a – what's my payoff? I get to be isolated. What's my payoff? So you want to look at what the payoff is mentally for rejection, change, success, failure, commitment, poverty. Now, there's real poverty in the world, but there's also self-created poverty. Um, does that make sense? It totally does, and it's and again, it really points to a level of awareness about what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, you know, what what's holding us back, whether it's fear or judgment, and it's 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 really powerful when we learn, because I don't think it, I I think it's easy once we get it, I think, and learn how to apply it. I think it becomes very easy, and we can tune in to the messages in our body and what's going on in our, our thinking and be more conscious about it. So I think I think it's very powerful. James, we are running out of time, and I wish we had hours because I love what you do. I'm fascinated by you. I love your energy. And <laughs> this well, thank has... you. We're, we're, we're cohorts in that area. <laughs> So, um, and I'm looking at a chapter, Learn What Makes You Feel Loved. Can you just summarize that for a moment before we, we go and you tell everybody well, let how me to get make, a hold of it? Let me make this quick because it's a whole process, but it's something that can transform people's lives. I'll give you an yes. example. I worked with a couple that were married 25 years, and I did this little exercise. The exercise is very simple. I want you to go back as early as you can in life, and I want you 
to discover or rediscover a time that you felt totally, absolutely loved. And once people do that, I say, let me ask you some questions. Is it something someone said? Is it a look someone gave you? Is it a touch? Or was it a gift? Now, I go back to my childhood. My mother, I was, must have been five years old. We were coming back on a train from Chicago. My mother was stroking my head. I had my head on her lap. I've, oh, now, I felt totally, absolutely loved. It's one of the reasons I stroked my head. I'm a physical guy. Now, when you work with a couple, we assume as human beings that what makes us feel loved makes other people feel loved. And that can be absolutely disastrous to a relationship. My ex-wife and I are still friends. I've been married with Susan now 31 years. But my first marriage of 16 years, we're great friends, as I said, after we were divorced, I said, Catherine, do you know what makes you feel loved? And she said, now you ask? <laughs> <laughs> because, because I'm a physical guy. Why wouldn't I think that everybody responds to hugs and physicality? I would, because it's all I know. The reality right. is what she needed, I didn't know. What she needed was my time, the gift of my time. I was so driven. I was out on the road 250 days a year. I was, you know, she was an actress. She was always busy. I did not give her what she wanted. So when I work with couples now, some people look at their mate and go, you're kidding. How come I didn't know that? <laughs> so, you know what, maybe that's the first question that people that are just beginning to date and, and, and looking towards this relationship more long term, that's one of the first questions they need to share and ask one another. And, and, well, I, get and some... I give a way in the book to do this without scaring somebody. You know, right. you don't want to go up on a first date or first encounter and say, hey, tell me what makes you feel loved, because a lot of people don't know. Uh, That's true. And, and they really don't. But, but you can help them know. You can, you can ask them questions and conversations and be a, be a love detective, as I say in the book. <laughs> and I start to see all oh, my goodness. Which... Yeah, James, and you start to discover. We have to have you on again, but tell people how they could get a hold of you, how they could get a hold of not just this book, Imagine That, Igniting Your Brain for Creativity and Peak Performance, your other books, find out so much more about your what you're doing, your workshops, etc. Well, I strongly suggest people go to my website, which is jamesmapes.com. M-A-P-E-S, and poke around a little bit. Sign up for my almost monthly, monthly newsletter, <laughs> which is, I send one, because I write for Huffington Post every week and some other, so I send out a, 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 a thousand word plus article every month of something I think people uh, can use in their lives and share with their friends and family, and also I tell people what I'm doing. So the book itself, this book in Quantum Leap Thinking, are on my website with other products that I do, or on Amazon. So the book is Imagine That, Igniting Your Brain for Creativity and Peak Performance. And I love to speak. I mean, I've, people are listening that, uh, you know, I, can, I love to do entertainment with speaking and make it so fun because that's how people learn. Yes, it, it is. And you're going to let us know when you do more of those hypnosis performances and We'll All that again. Yes, I know. I know. That's why I'm excited about that too. James, yeah, you no, are I'm one. I'm doing book tours now, so that's what's taking my time. Okay. Well, we're patient. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for everything that you do and for igniting us 
and our brains. <laughs> and and well, have a great day so wherever. Much. My pleasure. Thank Thanks so much. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. And we're switching gears. However, before we do, what I'd love you to do is to hold on to a little bit to what James was talking about because you really can shift your thinking, shift your level of awareness, you know, be aware of of what emotions are going through and really being able to to powerfully change things with visualization and with your mind. So tune in and pay attention to everything that James has on his website and, and this book. You'll love this book. Next week we're shifting gears, November 8th, and I have Sandra Pert who's talking about emphasizing and exploring and finding your true self. That's November 8th, next Wednesday. If you missed anything about the show or tuned in late, you can go to my website, docwhite.org, D-O-C-W-H-I-T-E.org, or Blog Talk Radio, Power Your Life. Find out more about upcoming guests, archives, and also articles and other freebies. And remember... You have the ability and the opportunity each and every day to empower yourself. Take the first step. And thanks so much for being here today. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.